It's Johnny D with another episode of Outstanding Life Podcast, and I am so looking forward to this podcast, and I know you are going to be excited to hear this one. This one's all about a guy that I met, and I titled this one Mid-Life Career Change. Joe Downey in the studio with me right now. What's up, buddy? Not much. How you doing, Johnny? Good to be with you. Outstanding, man. I'll tell you what. It's kind of funny because I think you're the first one that it's actually been on the podcast that we went to the same... Same high school. We're yeah. good. We're good Catholic boys. Yeah, good Catholic boys. <laughs> Southgate Aquinas. Yeah. So I, I I titled this one "Midlife Career Change" because you did everything that people told you to do after high school. I sure did. I sure did. I yeah. I I am definitely not the poster boy for somebody that uh, finds their passion early in life and follows it through in a straight line to the end. But uh, yeah, I did what I was told. I did what I uh, you know I thought I was supposed to do. And I uh, just found myself profoundly unhappy as well. Life went on, you know. It's uh, so. So you went to school. You went to um, uh, University of Michigan, and you had a. You went to school to be an, uh, an engineer. Right, right. I, I was. I was guessing you could say I was bred to be an engineer. <laughs> so I mean, it just was made, your dad an engineer? Yeah, my, your... my dad was a. Uh, he was both a mechanical and electrical engineer. He had like. Decades in the auto industry, almost fifty years before wow. he retired. And my dad thought everybody should be an engineer. He really did. I mean, he just thought he had six kids. He tried to talk all six of us into being an engineer. And for me, it made a ton of sense because right. you know, I was that kid, you know, that would be riding around on his bike and take his bike apart, try to figure out how to make it go faster and <laughs> jump higher and stuff like that. And you know, I my dad would take me out in the garage and we'd. Uh, uh, wrench on cars together. Oh, and, cool. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So I, I rebuilt my first V8 engine when I was 13 years old. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. And awesome. bought my first car when I was 14. And, um, you know, I, I, I restored it over like two years, you know? Right. And, and when I was all done, it ran great and it looked like, well, a 16 year old kid restored it. It looked, <laughs> looked pretty crabby, but what, you know, what kind of car was it? It was a 68 Mustang. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was cool, man. Nice. I, was, I was proud of it. You know, in hindsight, it probably looked like garbage, but you know. So what kind of engineer were you? So, um, I was a mechanical engineer. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, you know, my dad told me, you know, you should be an engineer <laughs> and I knew how to wrench on things and my high school counselors told me, "Hey, you're good at math and science. Why don't you be an engineer?" So, were you were you really good in high school? Were you like one of those really smart kids? No, that- you know, I took all the hardest classes. They put me in all the hardest classes, yeah. and I did enough work to like get B's and everything. Right, and, and you know, that's all the effort I put forth. And and everyone, uh, <laughs> when I was uh, going off to college, my dad just told me. Just get C's. You just got to pass. That's all you got to do. <laughs> you graduate as an engineer, you'll always have a job. All you got to do is pass. So that's what I did. I mean, I listened to my dad, listened to my counselors, and off I went. You that, know. That's so cool. I'm going to get right into this, sure. Joe, because we only have an hour, and sure. and I can't wait to even hear your story. Um, so what was the moment? Like, when was the moment? The moment that you were working as an engineer, and all of a sudden it hit you. This is not for me. I have a better way to serve the world. Where were you? What were you doing? Yeah, what was well, the moment like? Well, it was kind of a long process, but I'll make it as brief as I can. <laughs> no, so, I don't want you. We so, have an hour. <laughs> so so I, I was working in the auto industry. You know, so make a long story short, you know, I, I, I graduated at 21 years old with a degree in mechanical yeah. engineering. The economy wasn't the best at the time. So um, you know, what I always wanted to do was design cars. That's what I okay. wanted to do. The economy wasn't 
great, but it's still good enough. I got a job at 21 years old working for Ford Motor Company. They hired me as a manufacturing engineer. Okay. So in my mind, it's like, okay, someday I can design cars, but for now I'll take this job that they're offering me is, you know, in, at the time, a ton of money for a 21-year-old punk kid. Yeah. You know? So what that basically meant was I was a guy that lived out of a suitcase. I traveled nonstop. So Welcome five, to my five, world. Yeah, right on. <laughs> it's tough, tough life. So five years for Ford and two years for GM, I traveled nonstop. 700-plus nights in hotel rooms in seven years. Wow. And nearest I can figure, between a half million and three-quarter million miles flown. It was yeah. just, you know, it's, you know, and I... I uh, my wife, I met her when we were kids. I mean, right. you know, we wanted to get married and we got married at a very young age and had kids at a young age. And it's like, that's not the way I want to raise my kids and not the kind of relationship I want to have with my wife every right. other weekend. You know, yeah. that's not, that's not what I wanted to do. Yep. So figured, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get into management in the auto industry. Cause it never really worked out where I got into the product end of the business. Yeah. I was, once you're in manufacturing, you're always in manufacturing. <laughs> it's kind of the way it works out. So went to graduate business school, got my MBA, Got a great job working for a, a supplier. Yep. Got off the road. Solved that problem. <laughs> you know? and, so you and, solved the problem and got married? Uh, well, yeah, I got married at age 22. Oh, you know? wow. So, yeah. Okay, a so, year after college. Yeah, we were yeah we were married while we were going through this process of me not being there ever. <laughs> and uh, So life was good then? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for <I> mean, her. <laughs> not, well, she had two little kids at home. Right. Job, you know, it wasn't, believe me, she, she yeah. had a lot worse than I did, but... Um, so yeah, you know, so I, so I got this job, uh, as a, as a manager in the auto industry and, uh, you know, it was good from a lot of respects from, you know, an outside person's perspective. I had the life, man, yeah. you know, I, I had solved my problems. I wasn't on the road all the time. I traveled some, but not a crazy amount, made a lot of money, had a nice house, cars, boats, vacations, you know, the kids in their private, private schools, schools. Yeah. you know, it was, uh, it was a good life from the outside, but the part that I guess was terrible for me, and it was mostly self-induced, you know, <laughs> upon further reflection, but um, I couldn't get away from the job. Yeah. You know, it was 24-7 responsibility. What it basically consisted of is we would build tools for the auto industry. Okay. Monday through Saturday, we'd design and build them in our shops. And on the weekends, holidays, we'd send our field service crews out to various parts of the world and, and, and put these tools in, in plants. Right. Well, it never go as planned. You know, our <laughs> right. field service crews would be calling me at night, calling me on the weekends, calling me in the holidays. And remember like, you know, having like a Thanksgiving meal with my family and mm -hmm. get a call from Mexico. It's like, oh, we're all jacked up down here, man. This didn't work. We need this. We need that. And we've got to run on Monday morning. And I'd be wrecked. I mean, wow. I'd just be wrecked for the whole weekend. It's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to get this done? What if this contingency plan doesn't work? It's like, yeah, I just let it eat me up. I mean, I had zero ability to dissociate from my work. Yeah. Zero. I mean, just none. Yeah. And you know, character flaw, you know, or whatever you want to call it, but it was ruining my life. It really was. And if it's ruining my life, believe me, it was ruining my wife's life as well. She, yeah, that's you know, right. She, she was there supporting me every step of the way. And I put through her a lot of grief because, you know, feeling sorry for myself, whatever the case may be. And, yeah. you know, she's trying to talk me out of it, you know, trying to, you know, saying, hey, we got, look at all this that we got to be happy about. And Isn't that funny in life how people look at you from the outside looking in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they think that, wow. Yeah. Look what they have, yeah. but they don't realize really what's going on on the inside. Right, right. Isn't that kind of, it's, it's it, just kind it, of crazy. It, it, it is kind of crazy. And, you know, and I, I used to do that to people. Yeah, we, you know, if I'd pick up or pull up to a light and look over the guy next to me, it's like, 
Oh man, look at that car. Yeah. You know, look at that watch. You know, it's yeah. like, wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's rocking it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you have no idea. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. I mean, he may be the happiest guy on the planet and he may be up to his eyeballs in debt and every single <laughs> right, thing, exactly. including the coffee he's drinking, might be on credit. <laughs> so so you're working life is good from yeah, the outside looking. From the outside, in, life is great. But you're not happy on I'm the inside. I'm not happy. So yeah, you know, there I am. I'm, you know, forty years old or whatever, and it's like, you know what, something's gotta change. Something's got yeah. to change. You know, I, 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 you know, looking back, I had three options. I'd either just suffer through it, mm-hmm. which didn't seem like a great option. Right. Or I learned to deal with that, you know, learn oh. to dissociate from my work, which probably would have been the most sensible option. Right. But that's not what I did. I said, you know what? I'm going to just reinvent myself. I'm just going to start over. So we call these moments aha moments. Yeah. Do you remember where you were? Were you at work when you made that fin- final decision to say, okay, I'm going to start either one going back to school or I'm going to get a different job. Did you have a plan? Because most people don't yeah, even have a know, plan. They, they just walk in and it, they quit and do something crazy. Well, You did something crazy. Yeah, I did something but, crazy, but it, it's probably not as crazy as you think. Because, I, I mean, I do what engineers do, you know? Right. We, we analyze and analyze and analyze. And, you know, I made this huge, huge matrix uh, on my, my laptop of what can I do? And nothing was off the table at the start. I looked yeah. at everything, man. I looked at going to medical school. I looked at going to dental school. I looked at buying a franchise. I looked at starting a business. Yep. I looked at, you know, going even law school. And, you know, some things I considered way more seriously than others. But, yeah. um, you know. You so, wrote them all down. You, so you, you made a list. Down. And then, yeah. So I'm getting nowhere. And I thought, hmm. You know, I wasn't getting anywhere. I mean, some things I had to cross off the list because I, I just knew they they were probably not feasible from a financial standpoint. Right. Um, but so so this is at the age where my kids were approaching their teenage years, or maybe they were teenagers at this point. And you know, you do what any parent does. You you start to have to give your kids advice about mm-hmm. their careers. So the thing I always told my kids was, don't just figure out what what career fits your your skill set. Figure out what you want your life to be like. Mm-hmm. Like, design your life. Like, ask yourself all sorts of questions. Like, how much money do I really need to make? Not, not I don't say $10 million. Be yeah. realistic. Right. You know, how much do you need to make to be happy? Is traveling for a living acceptable to you? Is working weekends acceptable to you? Is working holidays? 24-7 responsibility acceptable? You know, all these kinds of things. I told them, you got to ask yourself these questions. This is crazy. Wait a second. So you were giving your kids advice, yeah. but really you were... Get oh, ready to take yeah. your own advice. Yeah, it's funny. Like, it's like, like you were looking in the mirror going, holy crap. Yeah, it took me a minute to figure that out. It's like, wow, well, you know, that, that, it's good advice for my kids. Why is that not good advice for me? Right. So I kind of, I wrote down what's important to me. And wow. uh, I kind of redefined what I what success meant to me. And right. when I did that, I, I was able to start crossing a lot of things off the list. And uh, what I arrived at was nursing. You know, the big thing there, two two big things. One was I got rid of that 24-7 responsibility. Yep. No doubt about that. Number two, I wanted a more immediate sense of feedback that I was doing good for other people. Yep. And, you know, I couldn't say that I didn't have that in the auto industry, but, you know, it's not like the guy that's driving his Mercedes Benz comes and thanks you for building the tools that put his instrument panel in his car. You know, right. <laughs> just don't do that. <laughs> and I, gotcha. I don't know, you know, call it selfish, whatever, no. but I wanted that sense of immediate feedback yeah, from, from my work. And so, I knew I'd get that. So nursing. it wasn't the money then. Because, oh, absolutely. Because you had money, you had status, you had yep. ego. Yep. I mean, everything that a man looks for after 20 some years of doing their job. Yep. You yep. had it all. I had it all. And yeah. you, and, okay, so wait a second. I, I just have to, I didn't know any of this. So you walk in, 
how long did it take you from the time you made the the decision to the time that you started your new job? Uh, and, and, and wait a second, before you even answer that, yeah. what was it like when you went to your wife yeah. and said, hey, babe, guess what? I'm going to quit my job. We're going to go in debt $100,000. Yeah. And guess what? <laughs> but I'm going to make you happy. Right. <laughs> How did that all well, work out? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you tell me she's not a saint. You know, you, you, okay. So really, yeah, let's put it into perspective. It's like, oh, hey, honey, I'm going to um, probably spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, when you consider lost opportunity costs and yeah. the cost of education and yeah. interest payments and everything. I'm going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars so I can get a career where I make somewhere between a third and a half of what I'm making now. And she, yeah, and she uh, she went for it. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, that if that ain't true love, I don't know what is. Wow, I mean, man, she was she's a. Saint. So let's just put this into into perspective. If you if you if you're just now listening and, and tuning in, so Joe gives up a job making great money. He has status. He has everything. He goes to his wife and says, we're going to get in debt a couple hundred thousand dollars to make less money, but it'll make me happier. And she said, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're, we're definitely not a couple hundred thousand in debt. You know, no, fortunately, but you know what I mean. Fortunately, we had a lot of cash saved up. You know, we yeah. were savers. So that, you know, that went a long way. But nonetheless, our kids were going to college the same right. time I was reinventing myself. So. Yeah, it added up a little wow. bit. We, we got a little debt, but not right. Not no, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah. But, but but you know what I mean. But <laughs> yeah. still, I mean, and, and and your wife's mind, she's got to be thinking. Wait a second. Yeah. Well, I tell this you is what, crazy. The most supportive person I have ever met in my life. They no say doubt. behind every good man, there's a better woman, and obviously you found her, and that's a good thing. How long have you been married now? We've been married it was almost thirty years. Almost. Yep, almost thirty years. Yeah, we wow. uh, we've been together for almost thirty five years now. Yeah, since we we're kids. Man, during the, during during this process, all the school, all the loans, were there ever times when you really start asking yourself, what the heck am I doing? What the heck am I doing? I must be nuts. Yeah, well, no, not really. Not in the whole nursing thing. Yeah. You know, um, I did for a short time go back to, to a graduate school after I became a nurse to be a, a, an advanced practice nurse. Okay. And that just felt all wrong. So that is like, this didn't feel right. That I stopped. But, you know, it was kind of weird because that was really kind of my plan was to be an advanced practice nurse yeah. of some kind. And a funny thing happened on the way. I, I just loved nursing. I loved bedside So why nursing, nursing though? Well, I mean, we never even, okay, yeah, I so, want to get into this. Why nursing? Well, Engineer to a nurse, that doesn't even make sense in yeah, my mind. Yeah, a lot of it is, is a quantitative <laughs> thing. So, you know, um, I, I, I was looking for something that I knew I could make decent money at if I worked a lot of hours. Nurses can work 100 right. hours a week if they want. So yeah. I knew the hours would be available. I knew the jobs would be available. Number one, mm -hmm. number two, that lack of twenty four seven responsibility. Number yeah. three, the ability to get a immediate sense of satisfaction from the work that I did. Yeah, and you know another maybe a smaller thing, but still important was the fact that I knew that going up in years, I want to work until I'm an old man. I yeah. love working. I get a great sense of satisfaction from working. Mm -hmm. And as a nurse, you can work a long time. You know, yeah. and you can cut the hours way back. You know, you can work eight hours a week if you want. Right. When you're an old person, so yeah. Um, that, you know, that was that was kind of where it's at, and uh, and it was uh, wow, yeah, just it was a, a feasible transition. So, did you come from? I know you said your dad was an engineer, but did you have other people in your family that that got into nursing or in the medical business, and that's what maybe persuaded you to go that route, or was no, it was it just really. something that not you really? Just... You know, my my brother is is a physician, mm -hmm. um, you know, an administrator, is a CEO of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, we, I talked to him about it at one point. He's like, "You want to 
get into a hospital that's working administration. You know, I was like, well, <laughs> that's not what I have in mind because that guy's twenty four seven. Right? Yeah, and he's one of those people that he can just turn it on and off, man. You know, some people, I some can't, people are great at it. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I just can't do it. Not you know? me. I'm a, I'm all yeah. in or I'm all yeah. out. And I, I shouldn't say that I can't do it. I never put a good effort forth to try yep. and do it, and no regrets. I mean. No regrets. That's uh, I'm I'm at where I should be at. What was the most challenging part of giving up that job and getting into nursing? Uh, well, I mean, certainly the the step down in lifestyle. It, it took a little getting used to, but um, you know, I, I, I you went I, from uh, going uh, from Campbell's soup to yeah, ramen noodles. Believe me, <laughs> believe me, we never missed a meal. We never missed a meal. But you know, we we uh, you know, we had to you know pare back our, our lifestyle. You know, I went from driving a new company vehicle every year to driving a you know uh, an Econo box because uh, <laughs> that's what I could afford. I had to get rid of the boats, and you know, that's you know, such is life. You know, I have to this this is so cool in. Um, now that you have made that shift and you found what I would call your instrument in the orchestra of life, do you feel that now your life has more purpose? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess I never. I'm seeing you I smiling never, right now. Oh, I mean, man, so I tell I, you what. I mean, and anybody that knows me and that's known me for a long period of time, they know that I'm way happier now than I've ever yeah. been. Yeah, I just, I, I just no, saw that, that that great big smile that was coming yeah. up on your face. Yeah. So I mean, I I got I have purpose. I yeah. absolutely have purpose. But um, you know, I always felt like I had purpose. You know, true, but it's different, yeah. isn't it? It is. It is. Because it now is. you went from something that was tangible to something yeah. that is more mental and so you know what that I mean? is a fact you know and my wife says that quite frequently it's like life's more about experiences than things and you know yeah. she's dead on I, we all have a story i mean yeah. when, when i asked you to be on the podcast you're like me yeah. and i'm like no wait a second you have a great story did you ever yeah. think in a million years growing up that you would be be a nurse absolutely not if somebody told me at age 15 <laughs> you know as i'm covered in my grease-soaked coveralls pulling an engine out of my car yeah hey, you're gonna be a nurse when you're 50 something like yeah right that ain't happening and if somebody told me that at age 35 i would have said the same thing there's just no way what aspects are better now than they were before Oh man, I, you know, from uh, the whole life perspective thing, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, we, I think we had fairly similar um, upbringings, but yeah. you know, we, I knew nothing about diversity mm -hmm. in life and, and tolerance of other people and other people's viewpoints. Um, you know, for instance, I grew up in a, in a all white neighborhood, yep. went to an all white Catholic school, our high school, uh, 900 kids, there might've been 40 that were of color, went to college, it was even less diverse because it was all white males. There wasn't even any girl, you know, hardly any girls right. in there. So it was like, boy, I knew nothing about diversity and then hired in to the auto industry. No diversity at all. So all white males. And as time went on, got pretty diverse, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so so I thought about this, uh, you know, towards the end of my career, I was in this meeting in Atlanta and sitting around having lunch with a, a group of engineers, we were all working on the same project. You know, some were suppliers, some of them worked directly for GM. I was the supplier at the time. And uh, somebody had mentioned, hey, we're all from different parts of the world. And we all started talking like we're this really diverse group. And we were. I mean, you know, it, it was funny because, you know, we're from all different parts of the world eating at a Thai restaurant. You know? Right, yeah. So we know something about diversity and felt like I did at the time, right? And. Real early in my nursing career, I realized, you know, I didn't know much about diversity. That, we might all been different colors and different religions, but yeah. we weren't all that different. We were all engineers. Yeah. You know, we were all middle class that went to college and became yep. engineers, worked in the auto industry, even though we didn't look the same. Yeah. We had a lot of similarities. 
So this is a quick story. No, please. So, so I'm in I'm in nursing school. And uh, what was that like to go back to school? You know, that had to be weird. Though, it, it, it was it was <laughs> weird, but the timing was all right. OK, perfect. Because um, the auto industry was falling apart at the seams. The economy was falling apart at the seams <laughs> at the time. So there's a whole bunch of people in my class. And it was a second degree program Yeah, um, where we all had bachelor's degrees already. And or at least bachelor's mm -hmm. degrees, and just had to go for a year to become nurses. So there was a lot of people that got displaced from various, you know, a lot of there were pharmaceutical sales reps mm -hmm. in there, um, line workers from, you know, from the auto plants that had bachelor's degrees yeah. that you know were getting a second bachelor's degree. So it was pretty diverse. And okay, were you? I, hey, were you the old, oldest one in your class? I was class? not. As a matter of fact, <laughs> there was. Uh, there was two people older than me in the class. They neither <laughs> one of them made it. They were both really? done. Yeah, I was the oldest one to graduate in there. Okay. Class. Yeah. All right. So get back yeah. to your story. I'm sorry. Yeah. But so so yeah. Just be, so we were talking about diversity. So so I'm uh, in a clinical group. That's where you go out as a group of students, like six of us, into yeah. a unit in a hospital. This was labor and delivery. I was gonna watch and see how babies are delivered. Not believe me, I wanted zero to do with it. I wanted nothing to do with it, man. You know, I was not a part of nursing. I was ever gonna be interested in. I just thought it was kind of creepy. Here's this, you know, forty-something-year-old guy gonna help this young girl deliver a baby. What does she want me there for? Yeah. She doesn't. I don't want to be there. It's just gonna suck. So I go there. There's four, five girls in my group and me. And they must know that it's a tough thing for guys because the <laughs> staff there was awesome to me. It was like, hey, come here. So this nurse comes, hey, they're going to deliver in this room over there. Just go walk in that room and jump right in. I'm like, oh, brother. <laughs> so you got to picture this because I'm in white, our, our uniform from this school was white yeah. scrubs, white scrub top, white scrub bottoms, white shoes. And here comes this, you know, 200 pound bald guy looking like the good humor man into <laughs> this room. And they stare at me like I'm from outer space. You know? <laughs> So I was like, all right, I'm going to go over by the blinds and blend in. They're white, too. So, <laughs> so I'm just standing against the wall, like yeah. trying to just stay out of the way. And the nurse comes over that's responsible for that room. She starts telling me the story. She says, 21-year-old female going to deliver her fifth child. I'm like, oh, boy. And, uh, and, and the, the baby daddy is like, he calls himself baby daddy, but we're going to be more respectful than that. We're going to call him the boyfriend. He, this is his first. I'm like, okay. So I kind of got the picture and, you know, learn a lot about socioeconomic diversity at this point. So uh, the, the, the boyfriend is instructed to stand next to his uh, girlfriend and hold her hand and kind of hold her leg up as she's pushing. Mm -hmm. So she pushes and some amniotic fluid comes flying out of her onto his shoes. He just drops her hand. Drops her leg and is like, oh, man, I got shit on my shoes. And leaves. He's gone. So the nurse like, get in there. Yelling at me. Get in. Like, oh, God. So, so, so I got to go and hold her hand and hold her leg. And, you know, she pushes and delivers this beautiful baby girl. Like, yeah. It was really cool, you know? So, wow. so, so, so then, you know, they take the baby and wrap it up and hand it to mom. And about 90 seconds, two minutes later, she looks at me and like, here. Take the baby and give me a menu. I'm like, okay. So I grab the baby and I didn't know what to do with it. So the nurse comes and you know does yeah. whatever they do with it, put it in a, under a warmer or something, and I go find a menu and give her a menu. It's like, wow. It's like dad wasn't here. 
mom's interested in a Philly cheesesteak <laughs> and not the kid. It's like, you know, like left kind of bummed out. But you know, yeah, so I'm passing judgment because that's what I do, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I don't know jack about diversity. Right. And on my way out of there that day, I walk by another room and there's like a party in there. You know, this person had delivered and they got balloons and they got, you know, dad's got his buddies slapping him on the back. And it's like, just, I'm thinking to myself, well, that kid's going to have a great chance at life. And this one that I left is doesn't. It's like, yeah. man, that's so wrong of me to do that. You know, it's like, is that I don't life know. like that though? I don't know that. You know, yeah. I, I have no idea. That girl's seven years old or so now, and yeah, they might be doing great. You know, and odds are probably not. But you can't be a judge of people yeah. when you're a nurse like that. You're exposed to so every how tough is that kind. though? It is. It's tough. But you know, you, you you empathize, you sympathize. You know, you try to put yourself in the other person's shoes and. Man, you learn a lot about diversity and a lot about life. And not everybody's the same. You know, not everybody came from the same spot and everybody looks at the world through the same glasses. And yeah, that's you so gotta true. You got to be patient and um, understanding of other people's viewpoints, that's for sure. So, how many more babies have you delivered since uh, then? That was it. Yeah, that was the last one. <laughs> well, I, 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 as part of that same rotation, I went into a C section and I saw that and never since, man. <laughs> and you've been a nurse for how long now? Uh, so, I guess seven years now, yeah. So, and you've only delivered one baby? Yeah, just one baby. And yeah. that's it. Yeah, it's been pretty they, much. You hear a baby and you go the other way and go down on, on break right or on. something? <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. You go get the menu, right? Yeah, I, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I've just I've pretty much critical care is yeah. what I've done. And okay. you know, something different more recently, but critical care is my background. Okay. Yeah. So so let me ask you this. You're sitting around having coffee with somebody, mm -hmm. and he or she says to you, you know, Joe, I can't figure it out, man. I can't figure this out. And you're like, what? I have a job that is making me miserable. I need something else. What advice can you give he or she that needs that change? That, that kind of step to help them get their sweet spot like you found. Yeah, I mean... Because I, I, because I, I guarantee you, there is a lot of people right now listening to this going, wait a second. He was 40-some years old, gave up everything, including good money, to be a nurse. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I, I get that a lot. Yeah. Believe me, I get that a lot. And so, that, you so, so you're sitting around having a beer or a cup of coffee with somebody, and they, and, and they, and they say to you, Joe, hey, listen, man, I'm miserable. What, what do yeah. you say? I, I, I would ask the question, what is your definition of success? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have an answer to that, you're probably going to stay miserable. Problem, problem number one. Yeah, right there. problem number one. <laughs> and you know what? I had the wrong answer the whole time. You know, I just thought make more money, be happier, make more money, be happier. And it doesn't work that way. You know, I'm not trying to say I was uh, John D. Rockefeller, but you right. know, I, I, we weren't hurting for money. You right. Know? Yeah. No, you absolutely. Know? You know, it's kind of funny because when people ask me that, I say, figure out the things that you don't want in life mm -hmm. and you'll get what you want. And they stop. And there's like that long pause. Like, wait a second. It's that, it's that simple. Yeah. yeah. You keep telling me what you want instead of telling me what you don't want. Right. Figure out what you don't want and you're going to end up with what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that, I think that kind of goes along with what I was, the, the advice I was giving to my kids. You yeah. Know, define, define your, what you want your life to be like, you know, in, envision that perfect life for yourself. And you know, there's nothing perfect, but no, but you know, what, what are the big macroscopic things that you need out of your life? So design that and figure out, okay, what, kind of work? What kind of career can I get to fit into that big picture? Joe, I, 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 I couldn't wait to ask you this, but have you ever 
had one of those moments that you walked out of the room and had to pinch yourself. Like, let's just say that something just happened to somebody and they recovered. Yeah. And you walk out of the room and you're like, man, that was awesome. Yeah. That was well, so cool. Like, I had a part to do with them getting better. I, I, I have. And, you know... I've had I've had many of those instances, and, and you know that's can, the can one. Can you share one? Yeah, absolutely. But it is the one beautiful thing about nursing is you have you have a lot of those instances. Mm-hmm. Now working in critical care, you know, in an intensive yeah. care unit, you lose a lot more than you win. Yeah, and and I'll tell you a story where we you can see the range of emotions just in one day. Mm-hmm. And so, then one of the one of the critical care units that I've worked in over the years, and uh, is towards the end of my midnight shift, so I was you know approaching the morning hours, and I get a call from the charge nurse saying, "Hey, you got an admission coming into your room. It's going to be from the emergency room, and they're going to call you with a report." So the emergency room nurse calls me and says, "Hey, I got this 34 year old female, um, massive hemorrhagic stroke, and what that means is she's got a, a brain bleed." Oh you know, wow! Brain bleed. So, patient comes up to me. Patient's on a ventilator. Got some medications infusing, basically to keep her alive. And I, I do my assessment of her, and it's like this: this isn't good. This isn't good at all. You know, there's not much activity, and it's like this is not a good situation. Towards the end of my shift, so I pass it off on the day shift nurse. Right, I go home feeling pretty bad about this mm-hmm. one. It's like this is not going to end well. I know that. So uh, I hadn't even met her family yet because it was right at shift change, and. Um, so come in the next day for my midnight shift and the day shift nurse gives me a report and says, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's not looking good, man. We did a set of brain death testing. She was brain dead on the first set of testing, but the way it works is you always have to do a second set. So a second set, she said is going to be in about an hour and a half from now. And she is a gift of life, uh, donor. Mm-hmm. She checked it off on her driver's license as she's in any and all organs. Right. Right. So she said, you know, if, Second death, brain death testing is positive. She's going to be a gift of life recipient. So I walk in the room and now I'm meeting the family, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, her mom and dad are there, her husband, young guy there, and a nine-year-old daughter. You know, oh. it's like, this sucks, you know, just sucks. So, you know, I, I make casual conversation with them, <clears throat> kind of run through what the, the night, you know, what, what's coming, coming our way. And sure enough, you know, the neurologist comes in after a little while and asks family to leave so we can do our testing. So I assist them in the testing and... She's brain dead. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts. And she was how old? 34 years old. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. So, you know, you try to keep it together, and, you know, the family comes back in. They get the news. And, uh, you know, you do what you can to hold it together. And here comes the the daughter, nine-year-old girl. And, you know, I'm just trying not to make eye contact because I Mm -hmm. just don't want to. You know, I just don't want to do that. And I look down, and she's got a card in her hand. The card says, you know, get well soon, mommy. It's like, gosh, man, it just wrenches at you, your heart. You know, it's like... All I want to do is like, I just want to go home, hug my wife and go to bed. Mm-hmm. I just want to, but you can't, you know, because what happens at that, that point is she becomes a gift of life recipient mm-hmm. or, or donor rather. And it sounds like an easy process. It sounds like you just march them down to the operating room and remove their organs. Yeah. And it doesn't work that way. It's a long process. Mm-hmm. can take a day, two days where you have to optimize everything physiologically. Right. And it's work. Yeah. I mean, you're infusing all these medications, titrating things, you know, assessing, assessing, assessing. Sometimes you pick the patient up and flip them on their belly for two hours, keep get the fluid out of their lungs, and then flip them back over on their back. And it was exhausting. And I knew what was coming. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, this is important work. Um, but, you know, f- step one, I do my best to express my condolences to that family. And yeah. that was awful. You know, just awful. What do you say to somebody like that? You know, it's just... How do you not get emotionally attached? Oh, God. I, mean, I was thinking about know, this all day today. You know, I was. You, you do sometimes. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't shedding a tear. Got, yeah, I was you know, say, when I saw you... that little girl, I mean, I you know I had to step away for a minute. Yeah. It was just 
you know, just wrenching. And you could just see they were just numb. They didn't know what to do. You know, I'm talking to them and they they just couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely could not believe the situation at hand. And um, you know, so they left and you know, I know whatever I had said to them was wholly inadequate, man. There was just yeah. what can you say? I mean, yeah. there's nothing you can say to make it any better. But they left and all I knew was that, you know, that's done. I, there's nothing I can do with that now. But what I can do is work as hard as I can to make sure that we get these organs. If they're if they're able to be safe, and man, yeah, because it can save somebody it. else's life. We busted it, and I tell you what, we busted it that night. And the next day, she moved out of there. They they retrieved all of her organs that were viable, and you know, two weeks later, you get the letter from the Gift of Life Michigan saying that you know that this organ went to a person of this age and sex, and this organ went to the person of this age and sex, and just a whole list of people's lives that you just saved yeah. through the efforts. The the first of all, the selfless self fishness of that patient and family mm-hmm. and our efforts. You know, yeah. it's like, man, we saved a lot of lives. You yeah. know, it's like on the one hand, just like, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror, it's like, oh, you know, what a feeling of uh, dejection that you could not save that person. Yeah. On the other hand, it's like, man, we did good work. You know, we saved people and that's, man, that, that's good stuff. Yeah. No, you walk out of there going, man, I really made a difference Absolutely. in, in I mean, people's lives today. Yeah. So so let's take it from that extreme because you almost made me cry three times to, <laughs> to have you ever been in a situation where they did not want your help at all? Uh, maybe they, they came in and they were drugged up or whatever. They wanted oh, to fight gosh, you. Yeah, they yeah. wanted to, you know, do something or 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 the family was crazy. <laughs> oh man, it, it, this is this is unfortunately more the norm than the exception sometimes. But yeah, I mean, you get that all the time, you know. People, Are you serious? Wait yeah, a second. Yeah, I, I, I thought that, that this would be a funny question, but it's yeah, really not. No, not at all. We get that all the time. I mean, you, you would not believe how many people are in the hospital um, going through delirium tremors, you know, because of alcohol addiction. You know, you take them off of their alcohol for a couple of days and it's just a brutal process. And yeah, I mean, this is, it's not an unusual thing. And, you know, I, I quite often now work in a neuro ICU where okay. people, they get brain injuries, um, you know, get conked in the head pretty hard and they kind of lose their mind, you know, yeah. and it's hard dealing with those I mean, people. and you're a big dude. So yeah. have you ever had somebody kind of come at you? Like, oh yeah, in- man. It, yeah, it, it happens. And you know, you know, you try to not have to wrestle them down. But <laughs> I remember the start of a shift, geez, it was a couple of years ago, but you know, I get a report from the Unit manager, like, yeah, your patient, you know, I just started. Your patient's in the room. I tucked them in. They're all fine. And I walk in the room, and there's this, you know, 60-something-year-old guy standing there, totally naked in his room, ripped his IV out, so he's bleeding all over the place. And like, oh, you know, hello, sir. Uh, Let me see if I can help you get back to bed. And he's uh, F you, MFR. Like, oh, wow, this is going to be a long 12 hours. (laughs) That's great. So, how do you deal with, because when you have, and I don't know how it, because I'm not a nurse, but I'm, I'm assuming when you come in, you have multiple patients, correct? It, it depends, depends on, on, the, it day depends on the level of acuity. I mean, it can range anywhere from, you know, half a patient where there's two nurses in one room right. to um, three patients, okay. you know, at the most. So yeah. how do you give one patient that needs a little bit more care, but you're supposed to give all the people... Yeah, care. you got to prioritize. That's, that's, uh, you just got to prioritize, and you, you prioritize it, it based on the acuity of their illness, not yeah. necessarily on the needs of them or their family. So, right. you know, and that's hard to do because you, yeah. you want to do a good job for everybody, but sometimes you just can't because, you know, 
this person that's there and they're sick and they need a lot of care and they got no family there, they're the easy one to forget about and right. keep answering the call light and trying to keep the person that's on that call light happy. Yeah. You know, that from a, you know, a, a patient satisfaction perspective makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to me. I got to take care of the person that's sick first. Joe, how do you deal with one patient's and two families that don't understand the big words that you nurses and doctors use. Well, I mean, that's a big part of a nurse's job is to educate their patients and families mm-hmm. about what to expect, what we're doing. And Did you, you have know, to educate yourself on yeah, how some of these words? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I know I mean, you're a really smart guy. You, know, you do a lot of reading and stuff like that. But some of these words you guys use, I mean, I got to be honest with you, it sounds like a different yeah, language. Yeah, we, we got tons of acronyms <laughs> and tons of words that nobody understands. But you just have to put it into layman's terms, you know, and... And uh, you know, most people understand that. I mean, some some people, and, and again, this you know diversity thing. Yeah. You, you deal with some patients and families that got education levels that never probably got past the second grade. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's a real challenge. Yeah. That's that's hard to do. I mean, you know, usually if we're talking at a seventh grade level or above, I can make it happen. But yeah. below that, it's it can be a challenge. You know, I draw pictures. I do do whatever I need to. Have you ever dealt with a patient? That couldn't communicate with you because maybe they're they got their throat cut oh, or yeah. something like that, and they like yeah. like how do you communicate with somebody like that? You know, it, you you have to figure out what works and what doesn't. I mean, I've had patients with what they call a locked-in syndrome, you know, a neurological huge neurological insult where they they understand you, but they can't communicate in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, I had one guy, all I could do is blink his eyes. We were just blinking. So you tw- had to figure out, okay, yeah. he can blink his eyes, yeah. so I'm going to ask him questions, and one, yep. two, three. Twice if for it's yes, this, yeah. once for no, you know, or really? you know, whatever the case may have been. But yeah, we were, we communicated quite well, and oh, man, it was tough, you know, because, you know, I know he wanted to express some emotions, and it's pretty hard to do that just with the blinkings of, of your of your eyes. But Joe, has anybody ever came back and thanked you for saving yeah, their life? Yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah. I mean, and this was... It Please was, tell me, yeah. Yeah, so this... So I cared for this uh, gentleman, and I mean, I don't want to let too much out of the bag here, but um, so he he was a really really smart guy and a PhD level guy, and um, he got really sick and um, septic, you know, oh. and just went into multi system yeah. organ failure and just was sick as could be, and he was in our ICU for like forty something straight days. And his wife was an extremely difficult person, um, just, you know, really demanding. You know, she really cared about him, just super demanding, though, and, mm-hmm. you know, would fire staff left and right. And for some reason, she liked me. So I got the pleasure of caring <laughs> for this guy for like 40-something straight days, yeah. you know, every day that I was there anyway. And, you know, I worked really hard for him. And there were some nights where it's like, man, I just I, I just wanted to make sure we got kept him alive through the end of the shift. I just didn't want to you know, explain to his wife that we lost him, um, even though I thought we were many a times. But anyway, he ultimately ultimately recovered. Um, It was a long, long road. I mean, I think he was in the hospital for 80-something days overall. And so right about this time, I I left that hospital and went went to the University of Michigan. And, uh, you know, I I, I still had a contingent job there. Mm -hmm. And this uh, manager kept calling me and saying, hey, this patient, he wants wants to come and thank you. He's come up to the unit many a times, and he wants to thank you. You know, wow. his family told him what a good job I did for him, and uh, so he kept calling and calling and calling. And finally, it's like, all right, give me his number. And I just texted him. It's like, hey, I appreciate your thought, you know, thoughtfulness. It yeah. was a pleasure to take care of you. You know, whatever. He's like, no, I'm taking you to lunch. I, all right, you know. Finally, I I. I I said, okay, let's yeah. go. So we went and had lunch one day and we talked and, 
you know, it was cool. It was really cool. He was very, very appreciative. Yeah. What do you do to, to stay mentally in the game? Yeah. Because it, it has to, it has to be tough for you to, you never know what you're walking into. Yeah. You, you, you could walk into a great day where not much is happening oh, yeah, and then you, you could walk into chaos you, you, and you don't you know. You never know. So how do you and, stay mentally and yeah, physically in the know, game? It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it is kind of a mind game, you know, and I heard somebody say once, um, I don't even remember who this person was, but there was some venture capitalist or something. And they were just <clears throat> talking about their childhood and their dad saying to them, no matter what you do, be world-class at it. Mm-hmm. And she was a copy girl. And, you know, she said, I don't know what it means to be world-class at a copy girl, but I'm going to figure that out and I'm going to be that world-class copy girl. And she did that every step of the way and became this, you know, tremendously successful venture capitalist. Like, man, that's a great attitude to have. Yeah. You know, I'm a nurse. And it's like every day when I walk in there, I say that to myself. All right. I'm going to be world-class. You know, I don't, that means wiping bodily fluids from them. I don't know what world-class means there, but I'm going to do my good job. I'm not going to leave anything behind, I guess. Yeah. So I just try to go on with that mindset. And, you know, some days are easier than others. What about leaving? Uh, what do you mean, leaving at like the end of the day? Like leaving work, yeah. Because oh, well, that's got to be the most stressful. Yeah. In, in, in what way? Well, I mean, I'm thinking that you might have just spent six hours with a patient mm-hmm. that you don't know if they're going to make it or not. Yeah. You're leaving with, with that stress of, like, literally leaving them with another nurse, another doctor, yeah. another, you know what I mean? And, and, and being men, we kind of yeah. want to be there because our ego gets involved. We want to help them yeah. even more. Well, I got to say, I, I think uh, the truth of the matter is you do get emotionally calloused, yeah. you know? You, you just do, because they say working in critical care, you lose more than you win. Yeah. So, you know, believe me, it's it's not uncommon to have to put somebody in a body bag uh, during your shift. And that, you know, that, it's it's part of life, you know? And um, we all end up there, right? Yeah. We all die. And if I know that I did my best to, to make that a smooth transition or did my best to try to prevent that, then I guess that's all I can do. That's all I can uh, know that I did my best. Do you look at yourself, and I know I know what the answer to this is, do you look at yourself as a hero sometimes? Um, no, not really. Okay, well, I'm going to say really. yes. Well, and, 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 and I'm sure that there's a lot of people because, not first of all, not everybody can do what you do. You made a decision to do and be happy as a man yeah. after all these years. You're yeah. doing what you love because they say you never work a day in your life when you love what you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, believe me, it's, there's some days where I feel like I'm working, you know? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but 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 at the... Would you say now, though, you've been a nurse for how long? Uh, seven years. Seven yeah. years. Would you say that you're happier now than you were as an engineer? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with, without <laughs> That's without what I'm talking question. about. Absolutely. With, yeah. so, so, so the craziest thing... Okay, so you leave a job as a, uh, a mechanical engineer... You become a nurse. You've been a nurse for seven years. Mm-hmm. You left and quit a job while your kids were in starting college. Yep. And now your son's a doctor. Yep. And your daughter's a nurse. Did you think that you had anything to do with them becoming a doctor and a nurse? Well, or, you know, or did you kind of say, well, listen, guys, this might not be the road to take. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I tried hard to not say... To my kids, you need to go do this. Right. I, I really did. I tried hard to not do that. I, I'm not saying there <laughs> probably wasn't some instances where it's like, you know, you should go do this. Um, but again, I just, you know, I tried to tell them, design your life. Yeah. You know, design your life, figure out what you want to do, what kind of life you want to have, and then pick something that fits into that. So, I mean, believe me, there's, there's actually times where I try to talk my son out of you know, pursuing a medical degree. Mm-hmm. I just saw what these young residents go through. It's a yeah. tough life. And, uh, 
he's going through that right now and yeah. he's still smiling. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, yeah, he's doing his residency and he's still smiling. And, you know, my daughter, you know, you always worry about your girls, you know, you know what nurses go through mm-hmm. in an emergency room. Yeah. I and mean, especially you, you're there every yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've never worked in an emergency room, but I mean, I've, I've, I've done some shifts there, but it's yeah. not, never been my full-time job. And it's like, man, that is a tough place to work. You got drunks and, you know, muggers and thieves and prisoners yeah. and, you know, people are just angry and it's yeah. like a tough place to work. And it's like, man, I don't want my daughter working in a place like that. Well, she loves it. You know? Yeah. You know, and it was entirely her decision. What's Christmas and Thanksgiving and family functions like now that the three of you, <laughs> you know, you got a doctor and two nurses. Yeah. Do you guys not talk about Oh, no, we, talk, we talk a lot of shop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we tell stories and my kids tell better stories than I do. That's really? For, oh, yeah, they tell great stories. What, so. what, what has been just one of the most heartwarming stories? I mean, because I guess, like you said, it... it it gets to a point that you take yourself out of the situation, mm-hmm. but there has to be once in a while that you get close to somebody. Yeah, you know, you you, you try to not get too close, right? <laughs> right. You know, you try to. Well, not. we always say try. Yeah, yeah. But it happens. Yeah, you know. So, so I, I had a guy that um, I hadn't seen in about twenty years, but he was he was an engineer that I worked with way oh, back when. Oh, no. As my so patient. So you knew this person. Yeah, I know him. And he was, he was struggling mightily. Uh, you know, he had lots of problems. And uh, man, you know, we, we rekindled our, our friendship, you know, as he wow. was a patient of mine. And that was, it was pretty cool, you know, because I mean, he, he knew he was going to die. I knew he was going to die. But, you know, we, 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 oh, we wow. relived Wait some of the old so stories. So he was your patient and you knew that he was. Yeah. I mean, he knew it. You know, it was uh, yeah. kind of a situation. We were just, you know, buying some time. But, you know, we all. We all we all know that's the ultimate end, and he was pretty realistic about it. But you know, I I was just able to get him talking about the good old days, and man, that made a big difference. He was smiling a lot, and I think you know his family had told me he hadn't smiled in a long time. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a good feeling to to be able to get him to do that again, even for if it was just for a short time. You know, when people are about ready to to pass. Um, they have those situations where they start thinking about their past, things that they wish they would have done, maybe being a better father, a better mother, just doing different things. Have you ever been in the room and you're about getting ready to lose somebody Mm -hmm. and they counted on you to be that person to vent on? Yeah. Do, you, do you kind of know what I'm talking yeah, about? Because yeah, I mean, you know, you you'd you'd be surprised that you know there's a lot of people that they breathe their last breath having a ton of regret, and it's sad. You know, it, it's sad that that's the last thoughts that you have are thoughts of regret mm-hmm. instead of thoughts of man, man, I, I lived a good life. Yeah, you know? and and believe me, I've had them. I've had them both. I mean, I've had people flat out tell me that. There's nothing I'd do different. Absolutely yeah. nothing I'd do different. I've lived a great life. That's so me this right is now. the end. It's, yeah. It's the end. Yeah. You know? And I've had other people, it's like every step of the way was wrong. And Joe, was, how do you handle that, man? I mean, I, I'm just sitting here asking you that question. And, I, and I mean, it's so sad. It is sad. And, you know, most of those people that, that are at that point where they have a ton of regret, it's always somebody else's fault. Oh yeah, you know, and that's yeah. You know, don't take responsibility. You can't say that. You right. have to sympathize <laughs> and empathize and shake your head up and down mm-hmm. a lot, and you know, 
keep them talking. Because, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, even though you're thinking this is BS, man. Yeah. You know, you're the problem. Yeah. You know, maybe, but maybe, maybe they weren't. You know, you, yeah. Again, you don't know what they went through. So you got to be sympathetic. You got to be empathetic. And you're a Christian man. Well, you know, I, I struggle with that, John. Okay. I, I really do, man. I, you know, I, I go to church, but if uh, you wanted any moral direction uh, based on religion for me, it's, it's, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I, you know? I, I guess the reason why I asked that is one, I just assumed because we went to a Catholic school, <laughs> mm-hmm. but. I just wondered if you ever had to give somebody their last rites, or or, or maybe they asked you, say, please, I know that you're not... I mean, yeah. I don't know. Again, no, I'm, I mean, ju- I'm just the guy no, here. So, kind, so of- the, kind of the way that works in a hospital is almost every hospital will have a um, ministry staff okay. of various denominations. So we always call for the appropriate denomination. If yeah. There's no none that's appropriate. Just some clergy member comes up and prays with the family. Now... If the family asked me to pray with them, I pray with them. I don't care what they're praying. Yeah. I, mean, I don't care if they're Islam, Hindu, Christian. It, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. If they ask me to do that, I'm not going to turn turn it down. What was it like for you going from dressing up every day to wearing scrubs? <laughs> oh, man, it was kind of nice. I, yeah, I go to, go to work in my pajamas every day. <laughs> it's great. I love it. You know, and right now I work in a kind of a surgical uh, type area, interventional radiology, and I, I just go in wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt and change into my uh, sterile st- surgical scrubs every day, so it's fantastic. Hey, yeah. so I, I I see a picture. I, I was um, I did some you know research on you, of course, yeah. and I see and I, I, listen. I know you work out all the time. Yeah. You you've been in in uh, bodybuilding competitions and stuff like that. But I yeah. saw that you ran a race with your daughter, and and I know that you know you work out all the time. But I didn't know you're running marathons now. Are you going to yeah. be running like a so, triathlon or anything? Soon? No. So this this is the truth of the matter. Is uh, I did a five k. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was like a whole marathon. No, no, no. So I missed a, the five k yeah, part. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was the the St. Jude uh, uh, Memphis Marathon, and we go down to you know to try to do the fundraising thing for uh, a, you know a great organization yeah. down there. But uh, yeah, I am kind of one of those guys. I am not much of a runner. I mean, I do a ton of cardio, but running is not part of my repertoire. <laughs> I'm more of a you know the bodybuilder sort of guy. So, so is that something that you would say is kind of like a stress relief for you? Is going to the gym? Oh man, absolutely. I, you know, I started lifting weights in 1976 at mm-hmm. nine years old. I can honestly say I have not taken more than two weeks straight off since 1976. That's crazy. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. It's, it's part of my. It's just part of who I am. It's not. It's not know, because of anything. It's it's just you've always done it. Always I mean, done it. Yeah, it's I, habit. Ever since it's I've habit. known you, you've been doing yep, it. So it's you habit. know, and now and now you've even competed in natural bodybuilding competitions. Yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty fun, man. I I, I really. It's a great challenge. You know, I. Uh, um, I, I just love the challenge because, you know, trying to get your body fat down to like a well below the 10% range is yeah. tremendously difficult. Well, there's you know, a the- reason why I run three to five miles a day <laughs> and do the things because I don't eat right. I don't right. do all the things right. Because again, we have to prioritize yep. being on the road all the time. I can't eat right. Yeah. I don't care how hard you try. That's a fact. Yeah. It. And again, it might be an excuse, but it's my excuse. Yeah. But it's so tough these days to to um to say that hey, I'm on stage for it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how many hours or whatever, and then you mingle and you do all these things, and then you have to go get a salad or or try to cook for yourself. Not listen, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah. But for you, is that something that you 
um, do you take your lunch and stuff every day yeah, to work? Yeah, or yeah. Okay, what is your favorite cafeteria food at the hospital? Since uh, you're in the hospital all the time. Honestly, I probably have bought cafeteria food twice in seven years. Now, is that because you're cheap <clears throat> or you just don't like the food? No, that was because <laughs> I, I accidentally bought uh, my wife's lunch with me instead of mine and <laughs> ran out of food because we eat a lot. Our volume of food is uh, consumed is a lot different. Is your relationship now better with your family now that you are doing something that you love every single day? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to think so. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm okay, convinced it is from my, from, my, from my perspective. You know, and not like you know we ever had real significant relationship issues, right? No, no, uh, no. But you know what I'm but, saying, though, because yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, if we're happy, everybody else Absolutely. around us is happy. Yeah, that's I mean, all I guess you know, I mean by that. We, you know, we're empty nesters now, and man, I think you know we're living a pretty good life. You know, we're working more than we want, but, uh, you know, that'll end soon. And, you know, <laughs> give me another story. I mean, I know that you have just crazy stories here and I mean, because oh, we man. only have, let's see. I can't believe we literally have about 10 minutes left and it's been an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, let's see. Uh, I'll try to think of a good one here. Um, do you ever get uh, overwhelmed while you're thinking, do you ever get overwhelmed at work? Uh, yeah, I do sometimes. And I, I absolutely do. And here, it was you know, kind of funny, just, just your face. Yeah. You're like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah I do. I, I do. And you know, here's, you know, I wish I could give you a, again, working in critical care, you got more, more battles you lose than you win. Yeah. And I'll, I'll never forget this one, man. It, this was, this was kind of tough. So, um, you know, part of the, the, uh, cardiothoracic ICUs, you know, so we have what we call ECMO, um, it's extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, right? Okay. And um, basically what that can be used for is for people that are in complete heart failure or complete respiratory failure or both. Well, so people that are, are, are CF, cystic fibrosis patients, when they have a really horrible exacerbation of their disease and their lungs aren't functioning well, we'll put them on ECMO. We're basically got a couple of big cannula that are going into the patient's vasculature, sucking the blood out of their body, through a machine, oxygenating it, and putting it back into their body. Basically taking it the place of their lungs because mm -hmm. their lungs are just not functioning properly. Well, taking care of a, a younger guy. He was in his 30s or something, and uh, he had a really horrible exacerbation. And he was actually a relatively healthy-looking guy for mm -hmm. a CF patient. And the, he was trying to get on a lung transplant list. But there's all these criteria that have to be met to get on that yeah. list. And... Part of it is, you know, walking down the hall a certain amount every day while you're on this ECMO machine. And it's quite a process because you got this, all these tubes and stuff hanging out all over and you're walking them down the hall and walking them back and quite a process. But, you know, got to know this guy really good because he's my only patient for, yeah. and he was there for weeks and weeks and weeks. And unfortunately, he just, he didn't progress and he kind of went backwards. And, you know, it's just tough because, you know, they basically told him, it's like, you're not going to get on a list. And he wow. basically said, you know, I'm done. Said, yank it. I'm done. He he basically made that decision that I'm this ain't living. I'm not gonna get to the point where I can live mm -hmm. like a normal person. I'm not gonna get a lung transplant. I'm checking out. You know, it's like, gosh, you know, it's like you develop a, a friendship yeah. with a person like that. And they decide that, you know, thanks. I mean, he believe me, he he was he was grateful for what yeah. we did for him, but he he understood the reality of the situation. He he said goodbye. You know, that's part of the deal. What's a phrase you live by every single day? 
oh man, just do good work for other people. That's, that's phrase number one. And you know, it's my, my whole definition of success. Use my talents wisely to help other people mm-hmm. establish and maintain good relationships with those that I care about. Yeah. You know, and, that, and not just my family, but you know, my friends and the people yeah. that I work with and, you know, it's just not asking too much to try to have a good relationship with the people that you work with as well as your family and friends. We're two adults. Have you ever learned a lesson from one of your patients and you walked out of their room going, I can't believe I just learned something from this person. Yeah. <laughs> because well, be, be, because know, we talk about diversity yeah. and all these things. Well, and, yeah. And, and then they almost like tricked you. You, you walked yeah. out of there and you're like, wait a second. I yeah. actually learned something from well, this person. <laughs> I, I did. And it, 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 it's funny you ask that. Because, yeah, I always think of this guy when when that kind of a question it, it comes about or I have a thought like that. So I'm <clears throat> taking care of this guy. And he was, he was basically a homeless person. Okay. Um, you know. Not much in the way of education, probably like a second or third, you know, third yeah. grade education and, you know, had his substance and abuse issues. And we got talking politics, you know, not because I brought up the topic of politics, but he starts talking politics and he starts talking about why he's going to vote for this guy. And basically why he's going to vote for this guy was all about the other guy was an idiot because of this and this and that reason. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that's a pretty shallow reason to vote for somebody. And I walked out of the room and I thought, hmm, why am I going to vote for the guy that I'm going to vote for? And my answers weren't much deeper than his. And I thought, man, you know, okay, don't be judgmental of this guy. Maybe I should do a little more homework on my own part when I'm going out voting next time. Try to try to uh, understand what, what are the topics that I'm voting for and just don't vote for somebody because I don't like the person that they're running against. I asked you about delivering a baby. Mm-hmm. You said it was one and only one. You've had people pass away on you more than Lots. once. Lots. Tell me about the time you saved somebody's life. Well, yeah, that, I mean, believe me, it, it happens. You know, we, uh, and you got to have one of those aha moments like, wow, I've really yeah. been put here. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I mean, well, you, you have to walk out of there with your chest held high and you're, yeah, you're like, you know, got that chicken neck going and like, right. going, yeah, man, look at me. I well, just saved that guy's yeah, life. No, a- absolutely. And, you know, I mean, this wasn't, <laughs> and like, I say that being funny, but yeah. I mean, it, I mean, this you know, this absolutely. I'm wasn't, proud of you. Just you just <laughs> sitting here knowing that you saved someone's life. Yeah, this this. I mean, it's never just I saved their life. I know, you know? it's a, um, it's it's a team, always, but, it's but a, you happen it, to be absolutely there. Absolutely a, a team effort. But I remember we had a younger guy. I don't remember he was 18, 20, something like that, and he got stabbed through an artery and basically a sanguinated out on the street. You know, they got him into the emergency room. What they thought was too late. They um, <clears throat> were able to you know take him to surgery, keep him going, but. They thought he suffered a massive, what we call an anoxic hit, which means that his brain was starved for oxygen for way too long. Okay. Neurologically, it looked like this. there was no chance this kid was coming back. And um, we were taking care of him for a few days. And I remember the, the intensivist explaining to the, the family, it was the girlfriend and the mom, that, you know, he's never going to be the same guy again. He's, you know, you should just let him go. And they said, no, no, we're not doing that. And sure enough, man, you know, the kid came around. I mean, and he came back to visit us. Really? Yeah, in the ICU. And, um, you know, he he said, you know, he has troubles. You know, he, he has troubles like remembering stuff. He's mm-hmm. in school and school is more of a challenge than ever was from before. But he's alive and he's functioning. And he, he, he remembered some of us. And it was pretty cool to see, you know. That, when somebody well, walks in, the, I, I, I can just imagine you working. Yeah. And all of a sudden around the corner. Yeah. With somebody you... Help. It's, it's happened. Like, it's almost got to be like whole. Like, it's the, happened a lot of times. You know, where the, the patients come back and they visit you uh, after you've taken care of them, and 
most of the time, let's be honest, you don't recognize them because yeah, right. you know they're they're you know they don't have a tube down their throat anymore, yeah, right. and they don't have you know twenty IVs running into them. But what about it's, families it's coming rewarding. back and doing something special for you? Yeah, you know, the, the, yeah, the families will, will buy stuff for us every year, you know, and usually it's funny. I don't know why they think nurses always need to eat bad food, but it's always <laughs> bad food. I mean, you know, not not like pet, poor quality, but no, no, I you got know, not good for your food and. Um, What's the craziest thing you've ever received from somebody that you did something nice oh, for? Money in my in, in my uh, in my scrub pocket. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I'm just walking by, and there is a um, <laughs> a very wealthy guy. We were taking care of his uh, uh, spouse, and um, just walking by, and I feel something go in my pocket, and it was actually his daughter did it, and uh, look in my pocket, and there's a hundred bucks, and he says, uh, "Yeah, you need to." share that with the other nurse that you're working with. I'm like, I can't take this. And he's like, I ain't taking it back. I'm a man in a wheelchair. You're not, you're not going <laughs> to put it back in my pocket. He's just off he goes. And it's like, so, you know, we had to, you know, put it in the kitty for the whole unit, but yeah. still it was like, it was very wow. nice. Of him. And his daughter said, you know, says, oh, don't even worry about it. the hundred dollars to him is like 50 cents to you. Don't even worry about it. And it's like, well, it's still, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's nice to be appreciative. We can't accept stuff like that, you know? And you don't do it for that. No, 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 no. Of course yeah. not. But it's always funny to ask those yeah. those questions. Joe, we literally have just a couple of minutes. And I yeah. want you to just real quickly think about the things that we talked about today. I mean, you literally gave up everything after 40 years. Uh, you know, you're 40 some years old, started a new career. Is there a story or a thought that you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I guess, you know, that it's just, it's never too late to reinvent yourself. You know, life is a long, long process, hopefully, you know, you, hopefully it's a long process. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're not happy with what you're doing, change something, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's never a situation where there's no way out. And, uh, you know, to reinvent yourself, really think hard about the, the big picture of what do you want? Define your own success. I guess that's where it all starts from. Do you and your wife ever just look back you know, seven years and say, wow, I can't believe we did this. Yeah. Well, I do. Or reminisce I, I about do. it. I, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that my wife looks back at it as fondly as I do. I mean, I am certainly more happy and I'm sure this was way more stressful on her than it was on me, but you know, she's still smiling. She's, you know, we still get along. Everything still seems to be just fine. So, um, I put her through a lot in this process, but, uh, yeah, I think overall we're both pretty pleased with where we're at in life. Joe, as the Motivational Cowboy, I inspire audiences all over to live the outstanding life. You, my friend, you, when you think about this, do you ever think about how many people you inspire as well? I mean, think about that. You are such an inspiration to so many people. I mean, think about this for a second, Joe. You took all of your chips. You pushed them into the center of the table. You doubled down on you. That, my friend, is an example of living the outstanding life. Joe Downey, I cannot thank you enough for spending the last hour, not only with me, but with the people listening that, that you've encouraged and that you inspired and that you motivated 
today. I can't thank you enough for being on the Outstanding Life podcast. I hope you had fun because it, do. it doesn't I even seem like did. it's been like you know an hour yeah. and a couple of minutes. But you know, Johnny, um, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. I'm glad glad you had me. I really appreciate it. Well, next time we'll just have to have a you know. Next time we'll do it with your son and your daughter, or at least with your son. <laughs> we'll sit around drinking a couple of beers and tell a bunch of lies to each other. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> this is Johnny D, the motivational cowboy, with this week's Outstanding Life podcast titled Midlife Career Change with my buddy Joe Downing. And don't forget, you can check out all of our podcasts at motivationalcowboy.com, soundcloud.com, Apple iTunes podcasts. And uh, don't forget to check out my website at motivationalcowboy.com. You can find all the links there. Again, this is Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, telling all of you, be safe, have fun, and have yourselves an outstanding day. We'll see you next time on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Outstanding Life is a Soul Bridge Studio production.